everything is conspiring within you, everything within your reality, yourself, your mind, your body, whatever you want to call it, is trying to keep you safe. That's just basic psychological principles. And the reason that I mentioned that is because when you start to fight the critic, it doesn't work because it's coming from a place of stay safe. Don't put yourself out there. It might fail. And then you'll be wrong. And then this will happen. And then your business will fail. And you'll have no money. And you'll be hoping like it would go on and on and on and on. But it doesn't sound like that. It just sounds like you're shit. You can't do this. So it's really important that most of our responses that we have are a reaction to what something that feels unsafe for a certain reason. Welcome to the She Is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles, and thoughtful conversations, offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hey, my friends, are you ready for a 4x4 ride with my guest today? I'm here with Charlotte Falls. Her label says an executive coach. I say a people empowering enchanter. No, really. Charlotte is an extremely accomplished, incredibly knowledgeable and drastically human coach who brings a lot of skills together to basically take her clients into a journey of self-discovery, self-acceptance and love and growth. It was, of course, normal that our session went a little bit over time. So you are in it for more than an hour. And we decided to bring her back to the podcast very soon. If you listen to this podcast with curiosity and open mind, I promise it will start, at least spark, a journey of transformation. You can find all the links that will lead to Charlotte in our show notes and Before I forget, if you're listening to us right now, do me a favor and click on follow or subscribe button. It will make my day. Now, without further ado, let me introduce you to Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Welcome to the She's Awesome podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. It's been a while that I wanted to bring you on board, but you have been traveling the world and giving seminars and everything all over the place. So I'm not going to talk anymore and ask you, hey, who are you, woman? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, Jalen. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So a bit more about myself. Well, as you said, I'm Charlotte Fowles. The brand name that I usually work with is the Executive Adventurer, which is less about me and more about the people that I work with. Because you know how we all have this inner voice in our heads and no matter what we do, it's never quiet. And often very successful people, they have this voice also. And I think we assume that successful people don't have these things. But what I found in my research, which led me to this work, is that they do have it. They just spend a lot of time fighting it and getting through it, and they have success in spite of it. But it does mean that it doesn't always feel great, or they still have this, and they thought, oh, but I thought when I got here or achieved this or did this in my business that it would be quiet, and sometimes it just gets worse. So often people refer to this as inner critic or imposter syndrome. And what's under it is usually some level of self-doubt, self-confidence, lack of self-confidence or self-belief in some area. And I basically help people get free from that, which is an utter privilege. I 
just enjoy my, I'll put job in inverted commas because it doesn't feel like that. I enjoy my work, my purpose so much. And it just brings me so much joy to be able to take people on this journey where once we've worked together, things just feel easier, more free, happier, more joy. And yeah, they're still driven, but instead of driven by fear and self-shame or trying to prove something to themselves or others, they're driven by purpose, by passion, by peace. And it's a really beautiful place for them to be. Oh, I'm going to cry now. It is such a privilege for them to have you as well, because we have led a few workshops together. You have come and talked to our tribe as well. And I know how actually it's not fluff what you do. You know, as soon as you go into soft skills, which are actually very hard skills, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, everybody can have a little label around like, oh, it's soft skills. It's, Mm -hmm. you know. And I will come to that, but I want to say to our audience that it's absolutely priceless and methodologic and quite strategic how Charlotte approaches people and how actually she empowers her clients. So before we get to the nitty gritty of all that, can you tell me a little bit of your journey to entrepreneurship, your journey to being the adventurer that you become and becoming the you know empowering person for others basically sure of course so I'll say first that the label because these are all labels that people might put on the role that I play comes under the heading of executive coach or corporate coach and as you so kindly alluded to it is it is all you know, not fluffy for whatever the opposite to not fluffy is. Um, And because the work that we do as properly trained and qualified coaches, that is, the work that we do is based on neuroscience and psychology. So we're using the knowledge about how our cells work, our entire cells affect change, the changes that we want for greater success in our goals, whatever they may be, and greater peace and happiness. So I'll come on to a little bit more about some of those things later. And you don't have to have a you know PhD in this, that, and the other science to actually understand the basic principles of why this works. And a lot of books have tried to capture that for people and to sort of break it down so that we can all understand it. So I'm very grateful to all the work that people, the authors have done for that. Because as you say, the soft skills, it's what underpins everything. It's what underpins the hard skills. If I take something like, for example, sales, which of course is about hard data and numbers and all of that sort of thing, you could force your way through that. You can force your way through it with sweaty palms and a beating heart and like, and not in a good way and a kind of oh, adrenaline rush of unpleasantness if it's not great for you and you can learn to fake it or you could take some of the soft in inverted commas knowledge do some deep work which means you approach it in an entirely different way so I really appreciate you bringing that up so my journey to this place where I am now I've always been fascinated in people I used to want to be um, yeah, we all want to be many things, don't we? And one of the things I used to want to be was forensic psychologist. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember why that didn't happen. Um, who knows? Who knows why that didn't happen? Probably other things got in the way when you were a kid and I thought, well, that doesn't sound fun. Don't want to do that. As in one of the things I had to do to get there, who knows what it might have been. But freedom is my highest value. 
that's another point that's really important for us all to note is what our values are. And sometimes we don't even know them. But once we know them, things seem to make sense. So for me, freedom and doing what brings me joy. And that's not a conscious choice. That just happens to be who I am. And whenever I've been in conflict with that, things have not been easy or enjoyable or as good. And funnily enough, when I shifted that through a lot of the deep work I did with my mentors and coaches, it was the opposite. So I strongly suspect that I heard something about becoming a forensic psychologist that sounded a bit hard or unfun. I thought, I don't want to do that. From my very unenlightened place as a 15-year-old trying to choose my GCSEs or, or A-levels or something. So originally, before I was doing this, I spent, it's now more than 20 years, in strategic communications. And after doing a public relations degree at university, I, I ended up working for the civil service, but I worked even from a very junior level, with really, really, really high-profile people. So it's one of the things that led me to know that these things affect everybody. I was in the rooms with secretaries of state, with the chancellor. I worked very closely with Gordon Brown as his press and events officer for two years. We had contact with these people running the country from when we were like in our mid-20s because of the job that we did in, in press and events, and it was very visible. And I took a lot of strategic moves whilst I was in government in terms of instead of just climbing, as they call it, the greasy pole and trying to get as high as possible, I wanted to broaden my skills and experience. So I did that. I had some very good advice from somebody more senior than me at the time and went broad, developed many more skills, which gave me more jobs that were stretching skills I didn't think I had, honing skills I never knew I could be good at. And eventually had the opportunity to then to leave the civil service and become my own consultant. So I set up my own business doing what I do. And there was a, a few drivers for that, but one of them was a mismatch in values. A lot had changed. I used to work in the Department of Health for a long time. I worked in the Treasury. I moved overseas to Australia and worked for the government there as well. But it became a tricky place for many reasons. I didn't believe in some of what was happening. I didn't believe in some of what was doing. It was very difficult for me to work and promote and spend so much time and long hours working around things that didn't sit with my values. So I took a leap. And it's interesting people's perspectives on that because originally I secured a contract for a year to work part-time and somebody's response was, oh, wow, that's, you know, you can't build a future on that. You know, you've gone from a super secure civil service job to you know, being a consultant. But again, I saw freedom. I saw, you know, a, a way to work part-time earning more, which would give me freedom. And one of the things that I told myself a story about was I couldn't be, for example, a full-time working mother. And I wasn't one at the time. I was just hoping to be a mother. And as you know, it's a long journey for me and I'm still not one. But, you know, I'd seen working mums being stressed and this and that and the other. And I thought, well, I can only be a mum if I'm part-time. And that was the story that I told myself. So I was always thinking I want to be part-time because then I'd have this time. So that was interesting. And again, I thought, but I can only be part-time if I can earn the same as full-time, you know, to balance things off. And you know, I was thinking way into the future of nursery fees and this and that. And <laughs> so I was following what I wanted. So that was like my first piece of being responsible for myself for being oh I've got this business I'm doing this job and then with the part-time I started exploring more things that lit me up and gave me joy and there were many things involved in that including I got a master's in professional cake decorating which did bring me joy was no amazing. way yes 
Yes, so really fun, ate a lot of cake, it was great. Did take commissions and things from friends, but something, it's really interesting how everyone said, oh, you should run a business, you should run a business. I bought a book about running a business, I thought about it, I believed I could do it, did lots more training, but just something was stopping me from doing that. And it could have been many things, I just didn't know what that something was. And then I explored coaching, and as soon as I walked into the room, where the training was taking place, I was like, this, this is why I'm not pursuing the cake because the cake is joy and the cake is great, but you don't have to make your joyful thing a side hustle. You don't have to make money of something that you're really, really good at. And I was very, very good at it. It's not compulsory. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And not everybody gets that sort of, bam, this is why, or this is what, but it made sense to me as to why I hadn't pursued the cake because the coaching space, I was like, this is what I was born to do. I just felt it. It's who I am. I have no choice. And it's sort of an extension of what I'd been doing in life, in work. I'd love to nurture people. You know, when I was managing teams, I'd like to encourage people, develop people all from a, an authentic place and a healthy place. And it just felt like this is where I was meant to be. So that's that was the beginning of the journey. That was the beginning of the journey. And then what happened? So do you remember well, like, like your first client as a coach? Because it's one thing to go as a consultant into mm. an arena that you have explored before. Mm. You know, I've gone through the mm. same journey. You know, I had a another business before Academy for mm. Women Entrepreneurs. Yes. And it was kind of an extension of what I was doing as a kind of free person. So that's mm. one thing. But then coming into an arena where you're like right let's start from zero although you mm. never start from zero because you have built all that knowledge yes. and stuff behind you yes to me it felt like fuck <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> out of the yeah. school again <laughs> so you know and then what do you remember like your first client yeah. how you got there did you actually feel that fear that you were talking about that inner critic and all that stuff there were many fears and there was many many critic uh, choruses going on if you like which were all a, an extension of things I believed about myself and that's what we it's important to understand there's an amazing amazing book that everybody man or woman who listens to this podcast or exists should read and it's called playing big and it's written for women but my male clients absolutely love it as well and in it, she makes the point, this is Tara Moore, an incredible author, she makes the point that most of the things, when you get criticised by somebody, you will only take note of the things that you fear that are true. If somebody says something that you don't really believe is true, you might think that's a bit weird or that's a bit rude or that's a bit mean, but it won't strike to the heart of you the same way that things you fear are true. So yes, there were many of those, <laughs> too many for this podcast to go into, but as part of signing up to the, I bought four diplomas and another an NLP qualification you know, to learn all of those from the coaching academy. And I, by doing so, got a year's coaching with an incredible lady called Jackie Leonard. So that I had her all the way along throughout at least a year. And my first client, so as you may know, you, you need to be doing this pro bono or free for people before you, and ethically, perhaps until you pass your practical assessments, they say until you pass the practical ones, you perhaps shouldn't charge. That's their guidance. So I was, I, I believe, 
it's people you know. So I, had, I was a friend, was the first client. And then there were more friends and, and sometimes colleagues and always in this lens of practicing. And I guess what was amazing was just the power of the stuff that I'd learned, even in a short space of time, the power of this, letting someone be the sovereign of what they are doing and not just smashing them with advice and this, that and the other. And I think that's why coaching is so amazing. Often we are experts in various things, but we also really need to believe that everything that is needed is within that person. We just must use our skills and our knowledge of how they stop themselves to unlock it. And that's where a lot of the deep work comes in. But yes, that was my first client, if you like. And I realized a beautiful phrase was true that I heard from one of my trainers, which is what you were talking about. They said, you transcend where you've been, but you include it. So yes, you might be saying starting from zero, but as you pointed out, we're not. Even if you've been a working parent for 20 years or something, and you think I haven't done anything but that, just think of how many roles you have to play as that person, let alone the wider stuff that you do for other people in your life and yourself. So there's always stuff you can include and bring and you transcend that sort of label and that space. And I really love that phrase, transcend and include. You don't ditch what's useful. And obviously, I've been working in strategic communications and so much of what I do is around connecting with people, is around listening to people, is around exploring language. So much of what we do in coaching is often seen through the lens of language. If someone says something to me, I'm listening to what they say and what they don't say. And I'll pick up on the word they use. We'll explore some of that because it's very, very telling as to what's in our minds is what comes out of our mouths. And they can't tell you the amount of times I have said it. My clients have said, oh, it's just an expression. It's just a phrase. It may be, but it usually is not. Usually the words we use are a very clear signal to what's going on. And also it's the opposite, right? We The words that we use also shape how we feel or we think. It's also like, even if you use that expression, using it one many more time, it's actually changing your own reality and your mm -hmm. own perception because you have been using that expression. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. a vicious circle the minute you get into yeah. that kind of negativity or whatever that we're going to come. Which can be... A virtuous circle. That's why some of the tools we use are using how yeah. we know the brain does this in a negative way and we switch it. Yeah. And we say, oh, like most of this work, if there's a phrase I want people to remember about this work, it's, I love it. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. So, so many of these things, so many tools, people often don't use them with consistency because it seems so simple. Or they say, oh, yeah, to themselves, yeah, no, I know this. I know it. Knowing and acting upon it, as we know, are different things. Acting with consistency is different from inconsistency gets different results. And so using the knowledge, i.e. the psychology and the neuroscience of how we know the brain works, how we know we learn, what we know about the neuroplasticity and how amazing ourselves are, we use those to, some people call flip it, but like I would say create that virtuous circle yeah. of using the language in a deliberate way. And that's more of a sort of surface level interventions, if you like. But definitely, it's fascinating. And like I said, a lot of it is simple, but doesn't come easy to us because we are, what's the word? The word is conditioned, but also very practiced in 40, 50, however many years of behaving and being a certain way. Yeah. So we need to unlearn. That's one of my favorites. Coaching's yeah. the big unlearn. Unlearn, discover again, 
Let's talk about this idea of then what you mentioned at the beginning. You know, you free people from however you call negative belief, lack of confidence, mm-hmm. self-confidence, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So mm-hmm. let's get into this a little bit. You know, that I coach mainly women business owners and I don't believe in all women are like this. Women have more of imposter syndromes or women have this. I seriously do not believe that. And I think data mm-hmm. shows that as well, that there's no yeah. such things. Women are in some places allowed to show certain stuff and men are in some mm. conditions, social conditions are allowed to show different stuff. And that's mm. how we perceive as women are this and men are this. But actually yes. deep inside, things are the same. Now, from a perception point of view, in especially in a very small business, micro business ownership, which most of our audiences are. They do talk a lot about this negative talk Mm. or that fear of, you know, standing up for that purpose. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about what is that? What is that negative talk? Mm. Or what is this kind of lack of self-confidence? Where does it come from? And you just mentioned Mm. that people who have achieved 100 million things have it. So what is it? Well, it's a, a topic for about three hours, but I will, I will pick out some highlights as with confidence and I'm sure everything else. Again, the, the book I mentioned, Playing Bee, she breaks it down really well. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that about women don't have imposter syndrome or it's not even a thing or any of those things. Let's just remember that that's a label that someone's given it that some people identify with. So for some people, that's what they feel. And I work with men and women. Mm-hmm. And it is often a perception from some women that they think, oh, do men really have this? And in the book, she states you know, the reasons why, because of condition, because of how society is, often this inner, this inner critic, this negative self-talk, which can include imposter syndrome, doesn't always, it manifests differently. And it results in different behaviours and treatment in the workplace. As you said, you know, sometimes how women are perceived. And so there's an incredible chapter called Communicating with Power, where she says, I don't like this is how the world is. I don't like the fact that if a woman speaks and says the same as a man in the same tone, they are often perceived differently. I don't like that, but let's work with it so that what we can do is to stand in our power to increase the confidence and the assertiveness with which we speak, whilst at the same time not coming across in the way that people see as negative. And that's a really powerful chapter because it makes you realise that, yes, this does affect people, but in very different ways. So I just want to say I'm really glad that you brought that up because it does affect many, many people. So the negative talk, and you say, what is it? Now, successful people, and this is the same for everybody, everyone has it to varying or lessening degrees, and it is often very situation dependent as well. How many times have you or I or any listener seen somebody, man, woman, someone who doesn't identify with a particular gender, anyone, and thought, oh my God, they're amazing. And then you become friends with them and they share their inner fear or about something. You think, hold on a minute, you're kicking ass at this. How is this person afraid of this? Whereas you might seem to them that you're kicking ass at the thing that they wish they could do, but are really scared of something else. And they might be thinking, how is that possible? And that's really important. The lens with which we see everything is our own. And it's important 
because I think some people really want to encourage people. And so they might say, oh, JFDI, you know, just fucking do it. Or it's like this or it's like that. But when we are dismissing how hard that might be for somebody, it can have the opposite effect because that person might just think, well, it's easy for you because you're like this, but I can't do it because of this. So it's very, very situation dependent. It's environment dependent. I'm sure you know, people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. You can take the same person who is looks really unassertive, not confident, poor performance because of the environment in which they are in. You can change the environment, you can change the manager, you can change the way people relate to them and they will perform entirely differently. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that come into this. And I describe my work in five stages. And the first stage and almost the most important is awareness. So I could sit here and give you a whole list of things based in psychology about what it is and all of that. But what's much more important for the listeners to take away is that you need to get awareness of your own. Again, the book I mentioned, The Plain Big, she talks you through some journaling questions where you can actually start to hear what are the things it says the most. When are the situations in which it is the loudest versus when it's a shop at all? So some people might be go and play, I don't know, a game of sport, like to quite a high standard in their spare time, and they just they never hear it. But then they might be thinking, oh, God, I've got to do a presentation or a pitch. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And it could take them weeks to build up the courage to do that. So, you know, it's very, very different for lots of people. So the awareness, not just when is it, but what does it say? Where is it? Because these things are indicators of where the real work needs to be done. Because often it is something happens. And what are we making that mean? And that's really interesting. And especially when things don't go according to plan, that is when the critic gets loud. As I told you so, it's evidence of this, it's yada, 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 yada. So it comes from all sorts of things from growing up. And it can come from also things from when we were grown up as well. It's different for everybody. But what is the most important thing for everybody to remember, and there are so many books about this, the science, and so I won't go into all of that, but the most important thing to remember is that, A, it's not actually you. That voice isn't you. And this is, can be a bit of a, a freaky concept to get the brain round, but if you think about listening to the radio or hearing birds or something, you, you notice you can hear that sound, right? So you know it's not you making the sound. So the same thing applies with the critic, that that is a voice that you hear, but it's not yours. It may sound like you, but it's not. You that is noticing it, that's the real you. And I think it's really important to keep that sort of separation there because some people's takes on a voice from maybe a very critical parent or a teacher or a combination of people or a bad boss or something like that. So identifying it, getting that awareness and almost giving it this identity and separating it out is really powerful. But the reason that I mention that is because it is about keeping you safe. Everything is conspiring within you, everything within your reality, yourself, your mind, your body, whatever you want to call it, is trying to keep you safe. That's just basic psychological principles. And the reason that I mention that is because when you start to fight the critic, it doesn't work because it's coming from a place of stay safe. Don't put yourself out there. It might fail and then you'll be wrong and then this will happen and then your business will fail and you'll have no money and you'll be hoping like it would go on and on and on and on. But it doesn't sound like that. It just sounds like you're shit. You can't do this. Da, 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 da. So 
it's really important that most of our responses that we have are a reaction to what something that feels unsafe for a certain reason. And everybody's definition of safety and unsafe is, again, different. So depending on experience that I have, something might feel very unsafe to me that feels really safe to you. There are many things that could be driving, for its very basic example. You, know, you might have a terrible car crash. Oh, yes, I remember you said about yourself with driving. But you might have, this is not necessarily the case. Somebody might have had a terrible car crash. So for them, that trauma causes anxiety and maybe a lack of confidence and, and it all becomes a vicious circle. And so everything is trying to stop you from doing that because it remembers this was bad. And if you think about that analogy as you go forward, listeners and anybody else, that's really helpful because so much of this is intangible. It's in our heads. So it's really hard to get a grip on it. But if you think of it like that, it's a response to something that happened. And you don't have to know what that was to just say, okay, I understand this is trying to keep me safe, but I don't need to listen to this voice. So I can then, as my adult self in 2022, respond to it with, I understand that. Thanks for keeping me safe. I also know that continuing with my business helps me create safety. Making this sales call takes me to a place of safety or freedom. This helps me provide for my family and not be dependent on other people. That's a place of safety. So you can start to create a different narrative. That's so well said, you know, and what I love in what you're saying, and it's all neuroscience and neuroplasticity background, I guess, is you do not need to analyze everything and know why it's there. You just need to be conscious about it, understand that it's there, and then move forward and build new neural pathways. And this reminds me something that I really want to give as a tool to our listeners as well. Do you do yoga? Charlotte. Do I do yoga? No, long, long journey with the yoga. <laughs> but what's interesting about yoga is that, of course, it's not, as I'm sure you're going to say, it's not about the movement so much. It is about the inner work. Exactly. Tradition. And in yoga, so I'm, I'm a trained yoga teacher. And in yoga, ah, there is something that we say is monkey mind, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And uh, when you are in a difficult pose, Actually, your monkey mind is there to protect you. Your monkey mind is the mind that jumps from one thought to another and to another and to another without your control yeah. while you're in the pose and it starts to do it even more. And you actually feel the pose becoming unbearable and without even noticing, you get out of it. And that's mm. the monkey mind. That's the you that is not you who is talking without even actually saying, get out of the pose, you're hurting yourself mm -hmm. or anything like that. It's actually doing something completely different, but it took your focus out of where you were and your yes. awareness out of yourself to actually convince your body without you noticing it to get out of the pose. And this happens mm -hmm. to anybody who is in a little bit of an edgy pose, even if it's like a warrior two where your legs are starting to shake and da 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 if at that moment you can you the real you can take mm. awareness of the moment and just actually go through what's going on yes my legs are shaking I'm safe it's okay they're shaking because they're getting stronger and this is what's happening let me sit a little mm. bit lower actually let's see how much they will shake more and what could happen worse you know, 
And when you go into analyzing actually the pose and what's going on with your body, you take power over that fear that took you out of that pose without even you noticing it. You wouldn't actually notice when you come out of the pose. And that's, that's the analogy that you said. And, and it's so like the same thing when you said, you are the real you. The real you is the one that is noticing what's happening. I think that's a really great key takeaway in any moment of business decision, any moment of yes. that, you know, like procrastination. Oh, I'm mm -hmm. not going to make that sales call. You don't even say to yourself consciously, oh, I'm not going to make that sales call because sales feel icky or whatever. Your mm. cheeky mind just plays up and um, finds another yeah. shit to do for you, right? Yeah. Oh, the laundry yeah. is there and you just need to fold the freaking laundry all of a sudden. Even when you hate laundry, <laughs> all, the best, all the worst jobs become the most attractive. Like we've all right? been there. Yeah. And I love that monkey mind. Professor <laughs> Stephen Peters has written a few books and one of them is The Chimp Paradox, which I'm sure yeah. many people yeah, have yeah. read. Now it's it's a very different book to some of the others I've mentioned. It's much more of what I would call a dense read in terms of it goes in depth and the science and things, but that's the chimp paradox. It, you know, the chimp mind, the monkey mind trying to keep us safe, actually holding us back. And actually the term that people use is almost self-sabotaging. What I want to say about that is that in my line of work, what I would call the transformational field, and we're not a massive fan of that phrase for this reason. It describes perfectly what it looks like. You are, you, the self, are sabotaging yourself. But it's not that. It's a self-safety yeah. mechanism. Yeah. And But it just happens to be that the outcome then looks like it's saboteur. But if you can understand that's where it's coming from, we come on then to the most important C word of this work. And again, you were talking about soft skill. This is the hardest thing any of you, I can guarantee, any of you will ever do from now to the end of your days. And that is compassion. self compassion. Just try it for a day. Try not to say anything that doesn't come from a place of self-compassion for yourself and notice how little you do that and how often the opposite comes. When we understand something, you say you'd have to analyze it all and you don't. You can't allow it, but you can understand even just a very basic principle. You're allowing yourself more compassion because otherwise you get this other sort of negativity talk, which is like, Oh, it's just so stupid. Why? This is such a simple thing. Why am I so afraid of it? Why am I having all this negative self-talk? Because we like to trap ourselves into a, a shame about the shame. Oh, and now I'm shaming myself. Like, oh, shame on me for shaming my shit. Like, it just is it gets ridiculous. So it's that compassion of, wow, look how much my being cares about me. Look how much my monkey mind or whatever is, is trying to keep me safe. Knowing that, wow. That's a lot of self-love right there. It just is not helping me. It is not serving me. And that's when you begin to explore and allow yourself. I'm allowed to feel shit today. I'm allowed to feel fear. However, I can also have those feelings, work with them, and then take other action. And there are, I mean, this is only an hour. And I have in mind to do a series of masterclasses on this that I, I may well, you know, promote and sell because there's so much in it to take people through all of this. But there are then things that you can do once you have that awareness, the understanding and that self-compassion. 
but it is the hardest thing you will ever do. And if anybody disagrees, let me know and let me know how amazing they are at it <laughs> because it's a practice, right? And we are not often taught the practice. And it brings me on to the piece about an amazing coach, sadly now retired, world-renowned. His name is Steve Chandler. I think I've mentioned it before in one of our workshops. He came up with this incredible phrase, game versus shame. Now, game, I think he used that word because it rhymes nicely with shame. <laughs> but when we're talking about anything that we're trying where we might fail. Now, I don't believe the concept of failure. That's a podcast for another day. It's just a word. As Shakespeare said, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And that's where this concept comes from. The game he's talking about is more like an experiment. If you have, I don't know, a course you want to do, as in sell, or something you want to promote, or a product you want to launch, or, I don't know, a hobby you want to do, it doesn't even have to be work. And it doesn't go the way you want. Most of us default to self-shame. And that, without compassion stops us from actually analytically and scientifically almost looking at it like an experiment. Okay, that outcome was not what I wanted. If I put on my metaphorical lab coat and my spectacles, you know, to be stereotypical, how would I get my clipboard out and go through the variables and look at what could be tweaked? Because almost every variable of that project, that work piece, that product, whatever it is, can be tweaked in some way. But you are unable or it is very hard to look at it like that when you make it mean that you're shit or you don't have this or you couldn't do that or see it's evidence you just can't or you just don't. Maybe it was the wrong time. Maybe it's economic reasons. Maybe you haven't quite nailed the audience. Maybe some more market research is required. Maybe it's just you didn't really feel it actually, you didn't want to do it, but you thought you should. Maybe it wasn't right for your business. Maybe the product needs some tweaks. Maybe it just needs a little bit of more development and then it can zing even more. Like, But if you're not allowing yourself to look at all of those variables, God knows, advertising. I mean, there are so many things you, that could go into business, personal success that, you know, it's almost endless. And releasing bit of control is also powerful because if you try to have control over everything, you will shame yourself when it doesn't go according to plan because you thought, oh, I thought I had control of that and none of it worked. But if you accept that you actually have control over very little, apart from lots of these variables, the rest of the variables that are outside your control, you don't have to take on as reasons that for shame. Yeah. This is an amazing discussion. I wish we had uh, more. Maybe we should do a, a second podcast because... Or a series. <laughs> series, definitely. Because what you're saying here actually gives me an insight into a lot of things regarding resilience. And, you know, what you said, there's a real gem in there. You said compassion is really important. And you described compassion as a process rather than just going... It's okay to be bad. You know, it's okay to not feel mm. good. It's not about mm. that. It's about seeing, okay, today is not a good day, but let's mm. move forward. Mm. And that there lies the resilience. I mean, probably out of 365 days of the year, a lot of it will not be a good day. There will mm. be a lot of things going on out of your control that is going mm. against you. And the business 
success or business fulfillment and confidence always comes from that kind of idea of resilience. But a lot of people ask me, but how do you build resilience? And I used to think that actually it's confidence, it's courage, but you just opened me a real window into my own brain. It's that idea of compassion, but compassion, not like a, oh, are you sick, my little baby? Come on, I'm going to put you back in bed, you know? When my child is sick, and and, and I'm going to be sounding like the horrible mother, but when my child is sick, unless she's really sick with fever, what do we do? We boost her with the vitamins. We say, you're bad. I know. We're going to rest, but let's go and do this. Let's live life. And that's a little bit in the same idea. And I really love what you said. It's really interesting. And I think because I do hate this idea of compassion that is actually kind of like, there are a lot of people out there, a lot of, uh, a little bit more patriarchic style. I'm not mm. saying male, mm. but patriarchic mm. style where they mm. go like, well, you know, if you're weak, you're not going to do this. Blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like self-confession, it's for weeks. Actually, it's the opposite. Absolutely. And what's interesting about those people is, you know, I can barely watch some of that stuff. I mean, again, Me I'm not go into, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to go into in the depth of the work that I do with people, but it is deep. And the reason I can't watch those people is because I can see their pain. Like I can see it and I can feel it because I have empathy. Now, because I'm able to practice self-compassion, I'm able to have compassion for other people and meet them where they are. And I'm glad you mentioned resilience because as you know, and this is for listeners, this was not actually a planned uh, promo, but on my website, which is charlottefowles.com, there is a resilience guide where I have set out the five strategies and three tools or three activities under each strategy for resilience. So there is a 15 point, 15 you know, tool strategy ready made for you. And one of them is compassion. And I explain exactly what that means. Because we do need to allow, as you say, yeah, acknowledge, allow. And then as for sometimes, some things will require longer to move forwards from than others for a variety of reasons. And that's different for everybody. But those people, the patriarchal, the shouty, the this, that and the other, it's actually painful to watch. You know, I put on one of those, you know, I don't know which one it was because I don't really watch telly, but it came up on Who Dares Wins or something like that. And the instructors on that, like, I'm sure they're great at what they do and part of it's production and it's all a show and I understand that. But all this over, and again, it's not gender specific, it's just the behaviour, the, the the macho-ness and the stressing of the people sort of shouting at these other people who have, you know, <laughs> signed up to be shouted at. It's painful. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. It just makes me think, wow, what is driving you? And, you know, that's what I say in a lot of what I'm describing to people about this work. A lot of this time, people are afraid. If I don't have this self-flagellation, this critic, what will drive me? Because it drives me to get up in the gym. If I tell myself I'm fat and I'm ugly and I'm horrible, I need to get to be a size six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm driven. And they are. But how miserable is that? And what sort of existence is that to live? And that's just one example of weight loss, for example, or fitness. But people can do this in so many ways to themselves. And how much better to be driven by things that light you up and a joy and get equal, if not better, results 
because you're not spending time fighting the critic and in a state of self-hatred. Like, it's sad to me, and that's why I do what I do. And it's why um, I love what I do, because to see people go from that space to a space of, wow, actually acknowledging my gifts, my strengths, and, and then using more fully, of course they'll have more success. It just isn't so, possible. And I say to people, if this is how successful you've been with this horrible thing sitting on your shoulder, in your head, whatever, you know, in the room with you, however you want to sort of imagine it and make it tangible, can you imagine how much more success you'll have without it? When you're not spending time with it, when you're not spending time fighting it, when you're not putting all that energy into it, when instead you're just allowing yourself to be a messy human, to go through life as a messy business owner or a messy parent or, you know, a messy athlete or whatever it is you are and learn and grow without the shame. How much more successful you be, you won't be dwelling on it. And you'll allow yourself to unpick things and know whether to then keep flogging that dead horse because you've got something to prove or with love, say it didn't work, I'm letting it go. But, you know, without this kind of awareness and compassion for self, you may be driven by the wrong thing, which may well then give you the wrong result. And who in business is just smart. It's just it's just business sense. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I was saying you are actually approaching self-development from almost a strategic point. That's why I love, I love talking mm-hmm. to you, woman. Right, so <laughs> I think we need to explore this idea of creating a series. I think it might be a mm-hmm. really interesting one. But more than that, we're coming towards the end and I want to explore a few more questions. And one of them mm-hmm. is, so mm-hmm. you know that this is a platform where I really tend and want to bring in relatable role models you can give kind of like something out of your expertise something mm. from actually your experience to people wow. who listen to you and and my mm. aim is really bringing those relatable role models yeah mm. and to me you are a relatable role model there mm. are many 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 things in your role modelness but one of the things that actually is interesting to me is you work with high profile executives both male and female. And there are a lot of narratives out there around, oh, it was a very male-dominated sector or it was a very male-dominated and and women suffer from it. So Mm. my question, and you have worked also in politics, etc. So my Mm. question is, what is your perception of that? And how do you Mm. use your tools if you have experienced anything related to being women go beyond that yeah it's again it's fascinating when you start to dig into things and I used to work with high profile people I should clarify that I work with people who are in positions of quite some seniority at the moment I don't believe them are particularly high profile so just in case anyone thinks oh I wonder who you're working with um but that's not to say that in the future I wouldn't uh very open to that if any high profile person is listening (laughs) um so because you know what we're all just people same stuff and this is one of the things i think is really powerful everyone's got same stuff it just manifests very differently shows up very differently and has different results for all of us so male dominated yeah politics it's oh god this is again such a huge topic it's definitely there's a lot around the energy of those spaces a lot around how we show up and how we can be very powerful 
whether we're channeling a feminine or masculine energy. And that doesn't matter if we're a male or female or someone who doesn't, again, identify with either gender. It's definitely a thing, if you want to call it that. Again, I think that traditionally women may have been seen in a certain way in the workplace because it didn't feel safe to be themselves. And when we create a space of safety, as you'll know, as a parent, wherever that is, you allow people to grow, to fly, to really excel. And when it doesn't feel safe, we don't and we're not our best selves. And all our defense mechanisms come in and they often are not the things that actually portray us in our best light. I just, for example, think of a way somebody might be in a meeting doesn't feel this is a safe space, so they shut down and they don't contribute to that meeting, which then might lead somebody to think, oh, God, they don't really have much value. Like, yeah, and this could be a man or a woman or another. You know, it's the behaviour and the energy around it. I had a fascinating interview, and this is not my area of expertise, but I had a fascinating interview with a lady a couple of years ago. She was incredible. She had done a lot of work in Sarah. She had two PhDs, I believe. And one of them was around male and female nature. And I want to stress this doesn't mean it's a huge generalization. Everybody is like this. It's more around tendencies and natural tendencies. And through all her research, which of course was extensive and the body of work that she was leaning on to produce her PhD, the, the snapshot of it was naturally men tend to, i.e. not exactly, be drawn and operate in hierarchy and female tend to more collaborative. So if you took people who never even heard of the word corporation, never had a job per se, you know, people in the middle of nowhere who'd never seen anything and you kind of just watch them construct a community or a project naturally gravitate the males towards a hierarchy. So what do most corporations have? A hierarchy and women more collaborative and again this is all just she wanted to stress to me this is underpinning you know this is basically biological in yeah. some ways that doesn't mean that you don't all have qualities whether whoever you are and however you identify that would be more to one or the other or a mixture of all of those but that I think contributes a lot to what we've seen so far up until now in the world of work to put it in inverted commas yeah. if something's structured more hierarchically then, of course, if you go by her research findings, it would naturally more benefit males. And and this is all if you accept this. So I'm just throwing things out there for, for people to think about. And then, of course, you've just got the actual fact that in the patriarchal system, you know, women weren't allowed jobs. In fact, when women got married, often you'd have to leave or you certainly couldn't stay if you were going to have a baby. You couldn't have a mortgage. This is even after we had a boat. You know, there's only many things that we are trying to catch up. So there is, and again, it's really important, the lens through which we see this. We can acknowledge those things and say we don't have to be constrained by them. And then, and that's why, again, I love work like Brené Brown's work and playing big because it takes all the things that are fact but it balances, you know, it balances our approach to them by saying there is a different way. Mm. So there's many things that I think about this. Um, and those pieces of work are things that have informed that. And as some of you will know, Brené Brown's work is all around leadership and leading in a different way. And again, traditionally, I think some of those things are seen as softer and therefore female. Mm. Now, most women I know are absolutely the strongest people we know. And that, that doesn't mean I think men are weak either. But the softness, you know, it's how it's perceived. It's the manifestation. It's the strength to come across differently 
and shown differently. And I do know a lot of male entrepreneurs who have built really strong teams with really strong ethics and and stuff. And I would Mm -hmm. never, ever like say, oh, men are this and and women are this. But there are tendencies, as you said, that that we show up differently. We manifest our leadership, our parenting, our friendship, everything differently. And sometimes we don't. I know we we come yeah. together as well. But that's a really good insight into these kind of like what is traditionally called. It's huge concepts, basically. They're, they're huge concepts. And I think it's a perfect example of almost like our inner critic work on a massive scale. Just because you are a certain way and you have certain skills and attributes or whatever doesn't mean a different way isn't possible. Yeah. You, know, you could unlearn, and that's for all of us to unlearn. And I'll share you an example when somebody was saying we were talking about conditioning and unconscious bias. And I said, for years, and I hope it's different now, I was as guilty as an next person of seeing a man with a baby and being like, oh, how sweet. Like, oh, look at them, like taking a baby. I would never think that at the time about a woman. Now it is different because I recognize that. So Again, we're all in the system of however we've been brought up in our culture and we see everything through that lens. So that doesn't mean once we acknowledge it, we can see differently and then do differently. And that's the same with work and it's the same with inside. Like if you accept that there is another way of being and we don't all have to default, then you are able to build whoever you are, whatever you identify as, you know, you are able to build something that's much healthier and sustainable and full of joy, whether that's a workplace or a business or a family in the long run. And that's like our inner critic work. You know, when we are aware of it, we're able to then take steps to do that, even though our nature and our conditioning might be pulling us towards something that doesn't serve us. So I think that's a nice sort of combination, bringing those two things together. But there's, I mean, yeah, it's a huge topic, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. About it, That's one thing that is what I wanted to say, sorry, one thing that's really interesting that leads me on to something I expect we might mention briefly is, as you know, you alluded to, I do a lot of travel. And recently I was in Botswana and Namibia and I had bought myself a four-wheel drive vehicle. My journey to this has been a long and exciting one. I, I live in Australia. I have a, a truck there with my ex-husband. We traveled. It was great. And I always wanted to have one and do some more adventures. Now, I got one, and my partner, my current partner, he's a man, and he'd never even thought of this before. He has a bit more mechanical knowledge because he grew up building, like, you know, taking cars apart, and, you know, it's a hobby. But, but he's never driven a four-wheel drive properly. So I had more knowledge fascinating world to be in go into a shop talk about this everyone talks to him i've had people online when i've shared it in linkedin men usually not always because women also say oh were you into this before you met him and i'll say it was the other way around now this world is still very very male dominated with all the things that come with that and some brilliant some not so brilliant and for some people whether they're a male or female or another they may not find that very welcoming. I know that lots of men, for example, don't like really macho spaces because they're not like that. And they find that quite unpleasant, you know, if people are just always a bit, you know, they're not fan of that. There's still quite a lot of that in this four by four world and the adventure world. And I'm part of a number of groups trying to change this. And I was driving the truck in Botswana, went with my partner. And for the first six weeks, whenever we saw 
well, I would assume heterosexual couple, man and a woman driving, not one single woman did I ever see driving a truck other than me. Not one. And for me, driving and learning about these vehicles was a real journey of confidence. It was like, wow, I don't need to know everything, but look, I can do something new. This is a huge vehicle. We're talking, you know, up to three tons for an average one with all your kit, how it functions. It was all really intimidating to me. Oh, it's all bad. It's terrible. It's scary. And I went and I did it. I got great support. I got training. Then I did a bit more. Then I did a bit more. So confidence can be a really gradual process. Then I went to Botswana and Namibia. Still was scared about various things. Still didn't know loads of stuff, but made sure I shored myself up with support. And it's just a really interesting space to be in, to notice doing that sort of adventure and to notice some of these dynamics playing out, uh, including in myself as a driver. Sometimes I would still defer to a male friend or partner, and that was a confidence piece. So I've kind of, you know, going forward, combined these these two things. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting, a really fun space to be. You have a Land Rover Defender, don't you? No. <laughs> there's a lot of there's also a lot of jokes around if you're a Land Rover person or a or a Toyota. Uh, mine is a is a very old. It's called a Land Cruiser. Oh right, and, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's widely it's widely acknowledged to be the best type of four wheel drive. There's a lot of debate. I love Defenders. I was looking for one when I bought this one. This is a Toyota Land Cruiser, right. and it's very old. It's like twenty. 28 years old but again I wanted something very old because the mechanics would be much more basic to cars today so much electrics I thought god that's just going to blow my mind I'm not going to be able to learn but I wanted to learn a bit more from from scratch you know from the basics of what does this basically what does this (laughs) bit do what does that where does that screw go like you know without trying to complicate it with electrics so again starting where I am and uh, and also they, they're, they're incredible vehicles there's so much power and again it's less about the vehicle and it's more about what it gives me the freedom to explore some of the most incredible spaces that are not accessible without and yeah. to actually be in that space why should more people and not just people whose spaces are you know normally for example men why should those people only get to experience the confidence and the freedom that comes with having this experience i think it was amazing and there's a lodge in botswana a a fancy expensive one that only employs females and that's to try and address some of the gender imbalance in the area and they all drive the vehicles and they're all obviously great at it and it's brilliant so it's nice to see people taking some action to increase equity but hey, I want to say something. I don't know about your vehicle, but we have a Land Rover Defender. And I tried to drive that vehicle. I think I need to muscle my legs like to double size because the clutch. Mm. Like after half an hour of driving, my leg was shaking. So hats yeah. off to you, my friend, driving yeah. the trucks and, and living yeah. a full life. And well, it is manual, and just to, my first full drive was actually a automatic. So depending on what uh, style you have, again, there are ways around these things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So then Ma- you only have to manage the yeah. acceleration and the brakes. So maybe maybe your next one will be an automatic. I know, right? I need to, but mine is a very old dude as well. So I'm, yes, um, <laughs> we call it brute, and yeah, <laughs> brute is brute is really old. But yeah, so we're coming to the last bit of this Mm. talk and I will ask you one last question that I asked Mm. all my guests. The name of this podcast is She's Awesome. 
not because mm. I am awesome. I mean, I'm awesome as well, but it's also to bring women business owners who are awesome and to give them a space where they will kind of own their awesomeness. So the question is, Charlotte, my friend, why are you awesome? Oh, wow. Like, oh, how long have you got? <laughs> but I think people listening to this might see and hear a certain way. All I would say is head to my website or head to my YouTube as well and check out some of the videos where I talk about my journey. Because as you know, why am I awesome? Well, I've been on this journey of developing the self-confidence and learning how to bring that to others and, and sort of crushing my critic, if you want to put it that way. But this has been a hard one, long fought journey. And as you know, I have been through many, many challenges, including you know multiple miscarriages and operations. And I still currently don't have children. I had cancer. I had chemo for a year. I've had very severe instances of depression, including suicidal depression a few years ago. That was the last incident. There, I, I, my marriage broke down. That there are many things that when you talk about being relatable, that I think you don't have to have any of those things, but most people may experience one. My best friend sadly died when she was only 36. My dad died quite some time ago. And most people will experience loss and grief. And I would say that I am awesome because I've come through all of that. Therefore, I was able from that to build this resilience strategy to share with other people because I wanted to say, look, I know this is super tough, but these are the things that I noticed. And you don't have to have any of those things happen to you in order to you know, build resilience before you need it, sort of kind of be intentional. And because I help people change their lives in this way and to explore in almost in an adventurous way, whether that's through business or through hobbies or for an actual adventure, how they can be free and to allow themselves to actually experience what I would call, and this phrase is so cheesy and gets such a bad rap, but genuine, real self-love. And there's a funny little reel on my Instagram where I say it's not about oh, I'm so awesome, I'm so amazing, like everyone else is terrible, like I'm just the best. That's not what self-love is. It's, hey, I see you. I love you. You've been to incredible places. I honor your experiences. I'm going to keep you safe and I'm going to give you the best life because I love you. And saying that to yourself, the way you'd say it to your child or to your partner and being able to actually mean it. And most of us were a long, are or were a long way from that space. And I'm able to bring people to that space. And from there, absolutely anything is possible. And I mean anything. Like I have seen people have incredible results from this sort of work, not just with me, but with others. And that real self-belief, that real trust, that real self-confidence, it's the magic that creates the magic that everybody else sees. And that's what I get to do. And that's why you're awesome, Charlotte. Thank you very much. This was an amazing chat. We went way beyond the hours, but we are happy. We're going to keep the full content and hopefully I'm going to bring you back here to talk about more stuff. Thank you so much for joining me and this podcast. Thank you so much for having me and thank you to everyone listening. It's been a pleasure. 
Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at academyweed.com. You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.